The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. We're on Martha. This this has been, I've been so excited to share on Martha tonight. Uh, John 10 and 11 is what we're going to look at, and maybe a little bit into John 12, even though that's next week. Martha, I think, has a little bit of a bad reputation. And it was Martha's story. You know, I told you, I started reading a chapter a day of the book of John. And then I, I got to the end after 20 days, started again. And it was Martha's story that arrested me more than any other story in the book of John. It was Martha's story that grabbed my attention. Now, I didn't really consider myself a Martha because I'm not very practical, right? I, I just, I can get things done. But um, they're not like cooking things, right? They're not like, they're not that kind of things. So um, I never really thought of myself as a Martha. But as I worked and read her story, I thought, oh, my goodness, I am just exactly like Martha. And, uh, and then the beautiful thing is where John places her in this book. She is right smack dab in the middle of the story. In fact, this is the pivot moment of the book of John. And it is Martha who is the main character in this story. And I could not get over, and this is what I couldn't get over, that Jesus engaged Martha in theological questions. I remember as a little girl, I remember sitting at the dining room table, and some of you may have heard me say this. I was, and my grandfather, my grandfather, I thought he had all the answers, right? Theological answers. And, and so we were all sitting around, it was Christmas time, and we were all sitting around, maybe 25 of us. And I was at the table, I was probably 10 or something. And I remember asking Papa, a some kind of question, theological question I had in my little mind. And I remember he he treated me as if my question was the most important one ever asked. And I remember that, um, and I remember thinking, how could anyone else be getting up to do the dishes? Like this is the most exciting thing ever. And, uh, and I'm sure he was giving me attention and he was answering my questions and that, that hunger to have our questions answered. That hunger to be in a direct face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus probably has been the number one cry of my heart. When I read Martha, her story in the overall book of John and how it fits theologically, all of a sudden I thought, oh my goodness, Martha is more important to Jesus's story than we give her credit for. And um, I think all of us, I think in all of us, there is a deep desire to be known by Jesus to be friends with Jesus, to have Jesus welcome in our home, and to have Jesus answer our questions. So as we look at um, her tonight, I kind of want you to put the Martha Mary um, dichotomy on the back in the background. Let's not think about Martha and Mary as opposites. Let's um, let's focus on Martha as kind of her story as the pivot story in the Book of John. I I think I love. Well, I say this every week. But um, but I love, I love, I love this picture of Martha. Jesus meeting Martha, not in her home, but when she runs out to him on the road as he's coming to Bethany. So this is, this is what you're going to find. This is the beginning of her story. But, but we have to back up a little bit. We have to go to John 10. Now, remember we ended last week with John 8, 7 and 8. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then remember, Jesus goes head to head with the Pharisees. And then in John 9, it's like one of my favorite passages of, of, in John because it's the man who received his sight. And then remember, he goes head to head with the Pharisees. They say, how could this be? And we don't know if he's the son of God. And he said, really? 
you don't know. Uh, he made me, he, he gave me my sight and I was a man born blind. And I love that line that he says, um, um, one thing I know, I know that I was blind and now I see. And all of John nine is about, can we see Jesus for who he really is? And then we go into John 10, which is immediately preceding the Martha story. We go into John 10 and it is just this dialogue that normally we say, normally um, we talk about as the good shepherd, right? But before we get to the good shepherd, we have this beautiful statement that he makes in John, um, John 10, 9 and 10. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, usually when I think of, they, they, I've come to think they have life and have it abundantly, I don't think it in terms of Jesus is the door. But here's the beautiful thing, and I want you to kind of keep Lazarus in the back of your mind. Jesus says, I am the door to abundant life. I am the door to resurrection life. That is what John 10 says. I am the door. Remember those passages in C.S. Lewis where they walked from one world into another world and it was Aslan who stood at the doorway, right? He was their bridge from one world into the next. It's almost like John is giving us the conclusion to the Lazarus story in chapter 10, right? Because this is what he says. Jesus is the doorway to abundant life from death to life, from dark darkness to light from despair to hope, from anxiety to peace, from bitterness to love, from bondage to freedom. We are going to see this worked out in chapter 11. It's like he's giving us a little window, a little heads up. Hey, this is what's coming. And it's about to be reenacted in the life of my best friends. I am going to become to their resurrection life is going to begin to course through their home. And all these things are going to begin to happen in their home. And it is going to be the witness to what I want to do in every home, in every life. I want to bring resurrection life. Jesus is the doorway. We usually skip over Jesus is the doorway, but I have come to believe that. I, in fact, when I go like to a big city, I'll look for doorways the most beautiful doorways, because doorways are an invitation. They're an invitation into the heart of God. And Jesus says, I am the doorway into a whole new life. And so I just want to say, since John kind of gives the invitation before the end of the story, I just want to say, if that's your story, right? If you're finding your place or in your family, there's death or darkness or despair or anxiety or bitterness or bondage. John 11 is where Jesus wants to come and meet to you. And all of us, in all of our homes, he is the doorway into abundant life. Okay, but that's not the end in John 10. The next thing he says is, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own. My own know me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This is John 10, 11, 14, 15. I went to Ireland in, or in June. And in, um, Sligo is like on the um, northwest part of Ireland, on the coast. And you can't see it in this picture, but right underneath that sheep field is the ocean. So it's ocean, sheep field, and then the mountain. And where this, this we went and saw this shepherd do um, a demonstration with his collies to show us kind of how the collies took care of the sheep. And so he said, this is how it was. It used to be all this land belonged to one landowner. And eventually they split it up into 22 sections. And they're long, narrow sections that start at the ocean, go through the pasture, and then go up the mountain. 
So he said his family got one of those sections that went up the mountain. And he was young. He was in his 30s. And he says, as the shepherds get older and older and begin to die off, he, he's inherited more and more land. But anyway, that, that's his job. So he said every day, he and his wife and his father-in-law walk up to the top of the mountain to make sure their sheep are okay. It takes them an hour and 45 minutes to make the walk. And they walk up it every single day. And he, now he has a thousand sheep up there. And um, it's very safe. And there's no predators up there. So he walks up, makes sure that every all the sheep are okay. And he said, now some shepherds will mark their sheep. You know, they'll put blue paint on them or red paint on them. But he said, a real shepherd actually knows his sheep. And uh, here's what I wanted, what, what I want us to think about this. A shepherd gives his life. He gives his time. He gives his energy. He gives his effort um, to make sure that the sheep are safe. Now, this isn't so much a Psalm 23 shepherding passage as it is one that is going to give witness to the cross. And one of the things that underlies the Martha story in John 11 is the cross, that, that Jesus is beginning to point to the cross and every single chapter now is beginning to deal with the cross. So he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Now think about this second part um, of this. I know my own and they know me. When they hear my voice, they follow me. And we have that uh, um that image of Lazarus, right? Hearing the voice of his shepherd coming out of the darkness and into the light, out of death and into life. So Jesus is setting this up. He's setting this up. And then in John 10, he makes one other amazing statement, maybe the most amazing statement. And this happens, remember, and this happens, this is Solomon's portico. And it's that long kind of hallway, right? Um, colonnade. It was called Solomon's porch or the colonnade. And uh, the Pharisees come to him and they're talking and they're upset with him because he's claiming to be one with his father. And in John 10, 30, he basically, he just says, I and the father are one. So he claims authority over all life. He claims divinity. He, he declares himself to be God himself. And they try to stone him. John 10, they're trying to arrest him. They're trying to catch him. The Pharisees are on the defensive in every way. This sets up the Martha story. And I think we have to, I think we have to um, see her story in light of what Jesus is trying to say about himself, because the fact that he puts her in the story at this particular point is very important and should say to all of us women who are either too outspoken or too busy, right? Or um, Martha in all our ways, we are at the heart of what God wants to do in his world. And he has something bigger for us than we actually ever imagined. So here's, here's basically, she's the pivot point in the Gospel of John. She's the pivot character. So this isn't so much about Lazarus as this is about Martha and Jesus and their conversation. Jesus engages her in, in, in theological dialogue. He, he says to her the most important I am statement, I think. I am the resurrection and the life. Right? So I am the life and death dies and i i bring life wherever i go and then and then not only does he declare who he is to her he actually begins to bring resurrection life to her family not just in the healing of lazarus but also in the way that he works in her sibling relationships he begins to bring resurrection life okay so before we before we just look at the text i want to say this 
Jesus meets her at the table in her home. Remember the story in Luke. Now, Luke 10 is kind of um, what sets up the Mary-Martha um, difference. But I want us to think about this. Jesus, Luke 10, let me read it to us really quickly. Luke 10 says, now, this is where it's set up in Luke 10. And I think this is interesting. Jesus sends out the 72 at the beginning of Luke 10. Then he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then it's the Mary and Martha story. And then it's the Lord's Prayer. So someone, can you do a study on how those pieces all fit together? Um, and Martha's right in the middle of those, of those um, events. Now, this is in Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. It shall not be taken away from her. And here's what I love. Um, Jesus meets her at her table and she welcomes him in. She welcomes him in to um, her home. She, he welcomes her in. She welcomes him in. And then in her frustration and in her fatigue, she goes to him in her need and I love his tenderness with her. I don't believe he's scolding her in any way because he only calls people by, by their first names twice if it's a tender moment, right? Like Samuel, Samuel. Or when he's calling someone like Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He calls her Martha, Martha. He calls her by name. He says, you are worried and troubled. He knew exactly, he knew exactly what was going on in her heart. And he face to face, eye to eye, said, this is what is most important. He meets her there at her table. He also meets her on the road outside of town. That's what we're going to see in this story. He meets her at the tomb of his brother. And he meets her again in John 12 at her table. So it's it's sweet. G Martha comes to Jesus at every turn. And then Jesus meets her at every turn. Um, I think if we, if we could give this another name, it would be Martha Goes to Jesus, right? <laughs> kind of like um, a children's book, like Martha Goes to Jesus. What does Martha do when she's in trouble? She goes to Jesus. What does she do when she's disappointed? She goes to Jesus. What does she do? What does she do in grief? She goes to Jesus. What does she do when she doesn't think he's doing it right? She goes to him. At every point, she goes to Jesus. And that, I, that is the secret of Martha's life her faith. And I believe it's why John writes her right in the center of the story, because she goes to him first. She goes to him honestly. She goes to him. And then all the rest of the story comes out of those encounters. So let's read John 11, one through six. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. And the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but for the glory, um, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Then Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So I love this. I think John picks up the story from Luke, right? So he just says, John had eaten at Martha's house with Jesus. So he knew Mary and Martha. 
and he picks up the story as he's like, oh, we, it's at, it's, you know, it's Mary and Martha's village. That's, and it's their brother who's sick. He just kind of picks it up and, and continues the story. Um, and so there's a familiarity, a familiarity with them and John. And then this is the second thing I want us to see. Mary and Martha are confident in their friendship with Jesus. They're confident in Jesus's love for them. And I want you to remember that about Martha. She knows he's welcome in her house. And she also knows she's welcome in his presence. Right. And she knows that he loves her and she knows that he loves her family. And there's that underlying sense of um, love and respect and friendship with Jesus. I was speaking at a laser retreat and I was doing all all the women of John just in one lesson. And I came, a, a woman came up to me afterwards and said she was from a Catholic background. And she said, my name is Mary, but I want to be Martha. I want to be Jesus's friend. And there's this sense of that underlying love that is um, underlying love that determines Martha's relationship with Jesus. They call him in their need, right? Jesus, we need you. Our, our brother is really, really sick. We need you. Please come. Please come. And they have every expectation that he will. The way the story plays out, they have every expectation that Jesus will just come. But here's an interesting thing. This is what Jesus says. This illness does not need to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Here's what I want to say. This is a reference to the cross. Every time that glorify is used in John, especially from here on out, it is used in terms of the cross. So Jesus is reframing Mary's Martha's story in terms of the cross. Look at these verses. John 12, one chapter later, he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then in John 13, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, in him, he will glorify him in himself at once. All of these are references to the cross. And then in John 17, one, the same thing. The hour has come for me to be glorified. Now, it would be a really, really interesting study if we taught if we on the glory of God and the cross, the suffering involved in our redemption. That the resurrection life that we see in John 11 cost Jesus his life and cost Jesus the cross. So underneath the Martha story, you have the cross. And Jesus is reframing her story in light of the cross. I think that's really important. I don't think this is just two sisters going back and forth. I think Jesus is saying, actually, I'm doing something much better, bigger. And the atonement for the whole world is coming. And it's beginning in this family's home. Isn't that sweet of Jesus? That the atonement begins in a family home with brothers and sisters and siblings. And I think it's really interesting. And I, I want to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But I think it's interesting because um, we, don't, we don't talk very much about sibling relationships, right? We talk a lot about children, mothers and fathers and children. And we talk a lot about our older ones or our babies, but we don't talk a lot about what does it mean to love each other as siblings? What does it mean to love our extended family well? What what does that actually look like? And this is a story where you have three siblings and you know, with all the things that that entails, competition, frustration, annoyance, birth order, brothers, sisters, all those things are entailed. And it is there 
in that extended family that the resurrection life begins. And I think that's really significant. And I think it's something in our society, it's a little bit like, well, if you don't like your extended family, just, you know, like put up your boundaries. But there's nothing like that in Jesus. There is like, actually, I want the resurrection life to start not just in your immediate family, but in your extended family. And that, I think, is one of the beautiful things about this Mary Martha Lazarus story um, that we'll keep, we'll keep coming to. But all right. So but before we get to them, um, I want he, Jesus re, re, redefines her role in terms of the cross. But he also when he hears that Lazarus is ill, he stays where he was, where he is. And then he says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And they say, what? They're trying to kill you. Are we going there again? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he will not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. The light is not in him. This is really interesting because Jesus is reframing time and our story in light of God's story. So the disciples are like, if you go, you're going to die. And Jesus is trying to say to them, I will not die until God's will has been accomplished in my life. I can trust him. And sometimes I think in our Wesleyan background, we don't we don't emphasize the providence of God, that God is ordering our days and we can trust him and we can trust that he will keep us until he's ready for us. And we can trust him no matter what the circumstances are. In John, Jesus has an absolute confidence that he will accomplish the purpose that God has for him. And until he does, no evil can hurt him. And in John 8, in John 10, we see them trying to arrest him. And he can't be arrested, right? He can't be arrested until God's purposes have been accomplished in his life. And that, I think that, um, this is just a little something I saw at the end of March 16. Do you remember that part that most people say, this is not, this is not part of the original, the very end of it. Um, Mark 16, 17 um, says, these signs will accompany those who believe in Jesus. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Uh, you know, it's sometimes used for like snake handling churches, this passage, right? So, so people kind of throw it out. But you know what I think it is? I think it's a witness of the early church that if we belong to Jesus and if, if he makes his home in us, then we don't have to be afraid of evil. I encountered an evil situation this week. It was just straight up evil. I don't even know how else to describe it. And my immediate response was fear. And then I read this passage and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. These signs will accompany those who believe in his name. They will not be afraid of evil. They will speak freely the name of Jesus. And that's what I think it means by they will speak in tongues, because I think it means that there will be a freedom to speak the words that God gives them about who Jesus is. They will not be afraid of dangerous situations. They will walk without fear in the world because God's hand is on them and with them. And they will lay their hands on the stick and they will recover. And I think there's a sense where God's people go, healing goes, right? God is trying to say, if you are walking in the purposes of God, and if you are walking with God and resurrection life is flowing through your life, you can have a confidence that God is ordering your days. He's ordering your steps and you can trust him. And you don't have to be anxious about what's going to happen. I think this is one of the things he's trying to teach Martha. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. There can be this confidence that comes and God reframes all of 
He's reframing, right? How we see our place in God's world. And if we know Jesus, what that looks like. And then he's also reframing death, right? So no longer is death the end. Resurrection life begins. And what is death? It's simply a falling asleep. And he does this in in, um, the other gospels. Well, that's how Jesus understands death. It is not the end. There is a resurrection life that will bring new life. And actually, the resurrection life starts now in every believer's life. And what does he say in John 17? This is eternal life that they would know you, Father, and the and and the and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So resurrection life begins as we are known and we know God Himself. And then that resurrection life, I remember when I don't know if it was a grandparent who was who had died, and my daddy said to us, and we were we were young. He said, oh, but death isn't the end. You just go from life to life. And that is how Jesus understands death, right? You're just going from one one way of life to another way, a greater way of life. So he's reframing death. Now, just think about this. This blew my mind. There's no Easter, right? The Jewish people have no understanding that we, we talk about resurrection and we kind of know the Jewish people had no understanding of resurrection. There was no Easter in their story. So they were coming to this as they follow the rules and then you try to earn favor with God and eventually the Messiah will come and you will just keep following the rules. Their understanding, they did not have an understanding of resurrection. And so this idea, I am the resurrection and the life that's coming, right? This idea of death not being the end is is a new, is is something that was brand new for Martha and for um for all the Jewish people. But this idea that in Jesus, there was life and there was resurrection from the dead. That's, that was the brand new idea um, is where Mary and Martha lived. And Jesus had gone over to the green part um, across the river. And then he was um, that he was about two days journey away. So that's where he is when they send the message. And then when their brother dies and they're waiting for him. All right. Now I want us to think about this. Um, And I want us to kind of step back for a minute before we get to the conversation. What we know about Martha's relationship with Jesus was that it was one of welcome and hospitality. He was welcome in her home. And she made it, she made that the case. And not only was she, he welcomed once or twice, but they regularly came to, to, um, to Martha's home and, and her home, it's her home, right? That the, the Bible talks about it as being Martha's home. So, um, Jesus knows, and he enjoyed being at her home. He talked to her as a friend. He brought his friends to her house. There was this almost like a cousin relationship is kind of how I think of him. Like, who would you actually say, Lord, help her, have my sister help me? Like, who would you actually say that to, right? Only someone you knew really, really, really well. Um, and so, and I think that's, um, there's a, there's a welcome, there's a, a friendship. And so that is, that is, um, but it's all it's a relationship of genuine love, uh, a relationship of and then this is what we're going to find here. And I want to read it before we do these things. Jesus comes to there when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to consult them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated at the house. That's the first thing I love. 
right? That Mary, that Martha was out the door. As soon as she heard that he was coming, she was out the door. She was not waiting around for him to get to her. And especially because there was a whole crowd of people, right? So she just said, I'm going to go meet him face to face. And that's what Laura's picture is, right? It's this, there she is on the road and meeting Jesus. Here's the bigger version with Jesus. And they're going to have a conversation. Life with the Samaritan is going to be a one-on-one conversation. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I want to say say this really clearly because I think um, some of us struggle at this point. I don't think we're always very honest with Jesus. And what we're going to find is that Martha's relationship with Jesus was radically straightforward and honest. She went to him first and she went to him with her real thoughts. I've been in a lot of conversations and I do this myself sometimes. It's like, well, I know Jesus is going to work, but this is how I'm feeling. Or I know that I I should say this, but I really am feeling this. I have these questions, but I know. So we kind of slap a Jesus sticker onto our real questions. And we, we try to kind of get our brain and our heart to do what we think is spiritual or what we think is the proper response. Martha had none of that. There was a radical freedom to be like, hey, my sister has a problem. Hey, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And we're, then we're going to even find out, be like, Lord, that's a bad idea. It's going to stinky in there. Like, Don't do that, right? She says it to him exactly the way she thinks it. And do you know what? I think that is our invitation from Jesus, that we are as honest with him as we can possibly be. And the beautiful thing is that if we go to Jesus first, before we go to anyone else, there create it creates this um, back and forth, right? Where we go to him and say, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm mad. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't like what you're doing. And we go to him with all those questions. And then Jesus begins to engage us like he did with her in, in a radical um, a radical conversation. And that's what he does here. And she says to him, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, she, I don't think she expects the resurrection any more than Mary expected Jesus to turn water into wine. But I do think she wants to say to him, um, I trust you and I trust that you'll help Mary and me in our time of need. And then Jesus starts this amazing conversation. Your brother's going to rise again. And she says, I know, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know. But, you know, she's disappointed. You know, that's she had hoped he would come. She had hoped that he would be there. She had hoped that he would he would heal. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes on me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who believe, lives and believes in me shall never die. And then do you know what I love about him now? He says to her, do you believe this? He's not just coming to her and saying, this is who I am. Believe it, right? He's coming and saying, do you believe? He's engaging her. And then she gives the clearest witness yet in the Gospel of John. This is the clearest witness to Jesus. She says, these are the key words. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I love that present tense at the end, right? Who is coming. He's already here and he is coming. He's he's got all time wrapped up in himself. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe you are the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. I believe you're the son of God, divine God himself. 
And I believe you have come and broken into my reality, into my home. She acknowledges him for who he is. And I think these are the most beautiful things about Martha. She's honest. She's straightforward. And then when he begins to engage her in theological, and it's not just theological, right? It's, it's the deepest need of her heart. When he begins to engage her at that level, she just keeps responding. I believe. I believe. And as far as she understands, she just keeps saying, yes, yes, yes. I don't exactly understand what you're saying, but yes, Jesus. And I think that's what happens when, and that's what, I think that's why her story is right here. Her relationship is one of honesty with her siblings. She's honest in her disappointment and grief. She's honest about the actions that Jesus takes. And then he talks to her as an equal, right? He doesn't talk down to her. He talks to her as a friend. And he reveals to Martha on the side of the road, outside Bethany, on a one-on-one conversation that he himself is the resurrection and the life. And there probably have been two truths, right? That this great in the history of the world, two ideas this great. One is that there's only one God. And that broke the world wide open in Moses and in Sinai, right? Where all of a sudden everything was a wheel and everything was cyclical and people didn't matter because you just went around and around and around. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden God breaks in and says, wait a minute, there's one God. And this isn't a circle. This is a journey. And we're on our way to him. And that was the first radical idea in the history of the world. And the second radical idea in the history of the world is that that God has power over death. And death is not the end. We're going somewhere. And it's not just for this life. It's for the next life. And God has broken into our reality again at Sinai, at Bethlehem. He's broken into our reality. And we're on a journey. We're on a journey to him and his life is his life is working backwards. He gave her the freedom to believe exponentially. Anytime we engage as women with Jesus about our questions, here's what I think he's going to do. He's going to say, okay, can you believe this? And we say, yeah, we believe that. Okay. Then can you believe a little more? Yeah, I can believe a little more. Can you believe a little more? Yeah, I can believe a little more. <gasps> it's an exponential. He did not say you need to believe this. In fact, she doesn't even have to believe all of it until she sees Lazarus walk out of the tomb, right? But he, he, he works with her in the conversation, engaging her back and forth, back and forth, until all of a sudden she professes in a profound statement of faith for all the ages, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, I believe. And I think as women, as women who are caught up, right, in serving and helping behind the scenes work, not always sitting at the feet of Jesus, not always lost in rap thoughts, just women doing stuff of life. Jesus breaks in and says, I want to engage you in conversation and I want to teach you who I am. And I want your belief to grow and grow and grow and grow. Remember, that's like the mustard faith. If you just believe on me, it's going to grow and it can't help itself. It's like yeast. It's going to take over the whole loaf a little bit. If we just keep listening and keep talking to him. And do you know how our faith grows? Face-to-face, personal conversation with Jesus. That's how our faith grows. We don't have to go through the church. We don't have to go through anything else except his word and his face-to-face relationship. And the church and all those other things becomes means of grace for us. But Jesus says, I want to meet you on the side of the road in a face-to-face conversation. And then as in her honesty, 
she has the, the, the beauty of, right, of sharing this. And then he gives her this freedom to trust him. He gives her this freedom. And then what happens? You're going to see this transformation that takes place in her and in her family. Um, because as she believes in Jesus, all of a sudden space is given for her sister. She leaves this conversation with Jesus. The very next thing she says is, Jesus says, for I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, shall, shall, though he dies, yet shall he live. And then after that, after she says, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God, she says, um, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. Now, I think that is the most beautiful example of what Jesus does when we allow him, right? We say to him, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then all of a sudden into a relationship that have personality differences, right? Have possible annoyances, have frustrations. All of a sudden she's running back to Mary. She's saying kind of in secret because she doesn't want the Jews to hear because she wants Mary to have a moment alone with Jesus. He's here, Mary. He's here and he's asking for you. And I thought, what? That's like the best thing a sister could ever say. Jesus is here and he needs you. He needs you. When we allow Jesus, right, to meet us in those face-to-face conversations, when we run to him out to the road, when we say, I believe, I believe, I don't really understand all I'm believing, but I believe, I believe Jesus begins to bring life into our relationships and into our extended family relationships, into our immediate relationships. And all of a sudden, Martha and Mary are together, and all of a sudden, together, um, they're standing at the tomb. And we're going to talk more about Mary next week, because Mary's story is so precious. But Jesus does not talk to Mary by the side of the road. I mean, she comes to him, and she says, if you, she says the exact same thing. If you had been here, he would not have died. And then she cries, and he cries. There's no back and forth conversation with Mary at this point. I think that's what makes Martha so special, that there was this back and forth conversation. And then Mary, then Martha goes and gets her sister. And then the two of them, he says, where have you put him? And then the two of them bring Jesus to the tomb of their brother. I think when we welcome Jesus into our homes, we say, you're welcome here. Even if it gets a little stressful, you're welcome here. And I do think this is the reality. Welcoming Jesus in our home is a lot of effort. Welcoming Jesus in our lives takes a lot of hard work. And whatever whatever our culture is trying to tell us, right, that it shouldn't or there should be time for us or what, I have to just tell you, making a space, the work of love takes work. The work of life is work. And it requires thinking, what would they like? What are their favorite dishes? Is my house clean? Are the dogs put away? Who else is coming? Where do people sit at the table? All the details of life. I remember when uh, my my father-in-law was going to heaven and they were moving. Um, He was very sick. And so my mother-in-law said, we're going to Michigan. I'm going to give you all my plants. And I've never been a plant person, right? So I had all all these plants. I don't know, 16 or so plants that she gave to me. That will be pretty. I'll just make my home so pretty with plants. 
Well, before you know it, I had overwatered. I had little flies that flying around. Some of them had mildewed and they had ruined every wooden surface I put the plants on. And I I was so indignant, like plants, plants are horrible. I don't know how to take care of plants. And they're a lot of work and they ruin things and they make messes and you have to think about them all the time. And then I used to like, I'm going to get rid of all the plants. And Jesus said, don't you dare, right? Because life takes work. Life takes work and making a home for Jesus and welcoming into our home takes work. Inviting Jesus into our sibling relationships takes work. And we don't just say, well, this isn't easy. I'm on to the next thing. Jesus wants to give me a platform or a voice or something really important. The real work he wants to do is in our homes. The real work he wants to do is with our sisters and our brothers. The real work he wants to do is with our husbands and those that are hard to love. He wants to bring resurrection life there, and it just takes work. And that was where Martha said, okay, I'm going to go face-to-face with Jesus. I'm going to ask him my questions, and then I'm going to get right back to it. That is her story. That's the beauty of her story. And not only did she create safe places for Jesus, but for his disciples, for her sister, for her brother, for friends, for John, for all the ones connected with Jesus were safe in her home because she was willing to do the work. And sometimes I think Jesus just says, girlies, that's what it's all about. But out of that comes life. And, uh, and I think that is true in any, anything that brings life. I think Jesus says, let your homes, let your hearts be places where other people feel safe. This is one other funny story about my family that when my son was about 15, we, it was, the, it was um, November and we were headed up to Michigan to be, have Thanksgiving with my extended family extended family, which which was about 150 people, 75 on both sides of his family. It's huge. So I had just come off a very, very um, ex- like exhausting um, work I had was I was trying to finish up some really some work for my grandfather. It's very tiring and very I felt very vulnerable. So I was stressed. We had 150 relatives and my youngest son is, doesn't handle stress very well. As the weekend got on, he was just building stress, building stress, you know. And then on the way home, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but on the way home, we had an explosion, like the biggest explosion of our lives. And I the way, he's very intuitive and he has a way of kind of knowing your Achilles heel. So we were, we were, he was so angry and he just goes around to everyone in the car and says, dad, you're horrible at because of this. And mom, you're awful at this. And his older brother, you're terrible at this. And then to his sister, who's two years older, he ended with this. He said, and you are not a sunshine girl. And then he threatened to open the door, throw himself out into the road, right? So that was, I said, oh, Jesus, help us, help us, help us. So I'm scooting back, right? I'm scooting back into the back seat. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to pull up puppies on my phone. We're going to like look at puppies. We're going to try to distract them. We don't, we were trying to ease the tensions. And so before you know it, I I are lost in looking for golden retrievers on his phone and looking at all the breeders and all the cute puppy dog pictures. And all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden we found a breeder. And the very next weekend, we're driving to Indiana to buy the puppy that we bought on the way home. And it's so funny because we get, we bring home, we, we drive all the way to Indiana. There's this puppy is like literally the size of a potato. We didn't know she had a leg disease, but she's the size of a potato. And she... Isaiah, we're in the kitchen and the little puppy walks around the leg of the table and looks at my son. And my son looks at this little puppy 
and some kind of love happens, right? Some kind of life love story happens. So my husband and I spend a ridiculous amount of time and money and energy. And then we drive this puppy home and that puppy became a security and a strength for him. And I've known beyond a shadow of a doubt, it was a love from Jesus to my son. All the work, all the energy, all the effort, all the expense, so that life could happen for my son who was struggling. You know it. You've done the exact same thing <laughs> with your children or your neighbors or your friends, right? Where I was like, this is way too expensive, taking way too much time, way too much effort. And here we go, because it's the work of love. I think those are the things that Martha excelled at, right? And Jesus honored her for that and said, in all of that work, I am present and you are doing something eternal and you are actually paving the way for resurrection life. And that's what happened. That's what happened in Martha's home. And that is what I think he wants in our homes as well. Um, and as we do it as for love of Jesus and we do it with joy, we do it going to him. We find that not only do we know him better, but we also find that um, there is a life and a joy that comes to our homes that we never expected. Friendship with Jesus takes work, takes all of our effort. But in the midst of that, right, in that we have that vulnerability with Jesus, we go to him first and we find our security of him. And then we find ourselves free to love one another, free to extend love to one another. He's calling for you. It's not just me that needs to get our needs met. He wants you. There's space for you in Jesus's presence. And all of a sudden, Martha is moving out of the way so that Mary can meet with Jesus. That friendship with Jesus enables us to believe in bigger and bigger ways. And then the friendship with Jesus requires a yes, Lord. Yes, when I do not understand. Yes, when I'm disappointed. Yes, when I'm grieving. Yes, when belief in Jesus makes things a little bit awkward, which is what we're going to see happens next. Yes, Lord. And as we do that, then the resurrection life begins, begins to flow. Friendship with Jesus. This kind of friendship with Jesus involves us in a bigger story than we ever dreamed possible. And this is what he said. Then Jesus was deeply moved. Mary's been in tears. Jesus is deeply moved. He comes to the stone, to the cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, right? Here she is. She's honest. She said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Now, this is the only time I think Jesus was a little stern with her. He turns to her. He said, Martha, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you? And then what happens? She gives the nod to the servants and they push the stone away. And Jesus lifts up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this on account of those standing around, that they may believe, like Martha, that you sent me. And then with a loud voice, he cried out and said, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. I love this scene. I love that. I love Martha's upfrontness with Jesus. And then I love that Jesus steps in and says, I'm about to do something that's going to blow your mind. I just want you to be quiet and watch. And then he calls to Lazarus and like the sheep who hear his voice, Lazarus steps out of the darkness and into the light. And then they take off all that binds them. 
right? And that is what salvation is. We hear his voice, we come into the light, and then we are unbound. It is the beginning of the resurrection life. Did, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And as we, as we um, women in the middle of busy, busy lives can say, Jesus, we believe and we trust you. Now, the interesting thing is this is not the end of the story. Because what happens next is many, this is in verse 45, many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You know, it's really funny to me. This happens in John 5 and it happens here that some people, when they see the marvelous things that Jesus does, they go and report him. It is funny what we do with Jesus and what we do with power and whether we want um, whether we want an in with power or whether we're willing to say, no, I just want Jesus. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for that? This man performs many signs we cannot deny. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So there had been so many attempts, right? This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah that Rome had had said, right? You, like, we'll just wipe you out. Stop rebelling. And so they were afraid. And so Caiaphas stands up and says, well, wait a minute. And he's sneaky and he's um, devious. And we see him again. And we'll see him again in John 19. He stands up and says, don't worry. Don't worry. Only one man has to die. And if one man dies, we can put all this to rest and we'll go on as we were before. Little, little did Caiaphas know what he was saying. Um, but they begin to plot and they begin to plot Jesus's death. But as the Pharisees plot Jesus's death, Martha and Mary are planning a thank you Jesus party. And John 12 starts um, the story that comes next. John 12 starts and we're, we're going to learn more about this next week, but Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner party for him. Martha served. What I love is that when they have a they have a, a thank you, Jesus party, resurrection life has come. Martha serves. Mary then gets up and does something astoundingly um provocative in the sense of um, no one no one would have ever dreamed that she would do this, right? Astoundingly brave, that's the right word. And what does Martha do? She doesn't say anything. And it, as Mary offers, offers her gift of love, Martha just looks on in quietness. And I believe with all her heart that Martha is, is um, saying, yeah, that is exactly what we want to give to Jesus. You know that alabaster box belonged to both of those women. Right? That's exactly what we want to give to Jesus. Resurrection life has come to a little house in Bethany. And Martha just quietly, right, with no voice, quietly watches as this love is expressed. Resurrection life will come to any home that meets Jesus with a yes, that meets him in the quiet places, and then allows him to form our relationships, allows him to form our mind, allows him to form our faith, allows him to form our belief. This is what I believe, right? There was a celebration. 
And Martha had the privilege, right, of saying, I think this will be his favorite dinner deal, his favorite dish. I think this will be his favorite. I think this will be Jesus's favorite. And how much do you think that she, um, how much do you think that he thought about that meal? He only, we only hear about one other meal and that's the last supper, right? So this meal is right like the last party that he, he has. There's a celebration as they thank Jesus for the resurrection life that has come to, to, to Lazarus. And so as Jesus faces the cross, this event becomes the last event that really happens. Um, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And then we have the triumphal entry, but in John, it's only given a very, very few verses. And then Jesus goes into the upper room with his disciples and then this is really the last public event of Jesus. And it's in her home. And it's with her love, right? It's with her friendship. And that becomes the platform for Jesus to say, I'm about to do something, not just in your home, not just for your brother, but I'm about to do something for the whole world. And do you know what? I think that's what he's inviting us to do, to be in that kind of relationship with him, to be in that kind of love with him, um, to, that our homes welcome him and that there is um, there's an honesty, there's a freedom, and then there is a celebration of him and who he is. As we go, we're gonna um, we're gonna take some time to pray. I do want to tell you this as we look to next week, these stories go hand in hand. So as we talk about Mary next week, next week is going to be on worship. And so we're going to take John 14, 15, and 16. And, and my, my prayer is that you would just read those three chapters really every day to get them in your mind and let your worship of Jesus come out of those three chapters. Um, and then that will, that will kind of get us ready for, um, for, for the story next week. These are the names of Jesus we're praying of our family this week. Um, Jesus, you are the door into abundant life. Thank you for opening your life to us. Would you help every member of our families to walk through you and into life, abundant life? Jesus, you are the good shepherd and your cross makes resurrection life possible. Thank you for giving your life so we can receive it. Jesus, you are the resurrection life. Death, despair, darkness, and bondage do not define us. We are women of life, hope, freedom because of you. And we declare your life over our homes, marriages, communities, and our nation. Now, we could also say, Jesus, you get to reframe um, our, our own lives. You get to reframe our place in your story. You get to reframe how we see the world. Jesus, would you reframe our extended family relationships, our sibling relationships, our marriages? Would you reframe all of that in light of your resurrection power? So as Sadie plays, let me close us in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you come to women and you place us right at the heart of your story. We thank you, Jesus, that Martha's story becomes the place really that um, begins your walk to the cross. And it is here, Jesus, that we see resurrection life beginning. It is also here that we see how much it costs you. And so, Father, we want to say thank you for sending Jesus. And we want to say, Jesus, would you teach us how to live like Martha, to come to you first? to come to you with a yes, to make you welcome in our homes, to do the work and labor of love. And Jesus, then to let your love and your life extend through our lives to those in our families and our communities. 
So Jesus, we invite you in. Would you lead us as we pray together? We worship you in Jesus' name. 